You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by HuntStand. HuntStand is the number one hunting app in the country, and at only $29.99, HuntStand offers a ton of functionality for hunters all over the country. Whether you own your own property or strictly hunt public, you can choose from over a dozen base maps, view property ownership information, 3D mapping, local weather, log your sightings and harvest, as well as use their trail cam management software, and print maps from your hunt areas. Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt Stand. Upgrade your arsenal. You're listening to the Average Conservationist Podcast, brought to you in partner with 2% for Conservation. 2% for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% of your time plus 1% of your money equals 2% for Conservation. 2% helps businesses and people pair with conservation causes to support things that fit what they care about. Whether you're into fishing, hunting, or just getting outdoors, 2% can help you not only start giving back to wildlife, but get certified for it. Getting 2% certified means you've made the same commitment as popular brands like Sitka, Stone Glacier, and Seek Outside in giving at least 1% of your time and dollars back to wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies. Breweries, contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their community for doing so. Businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for Conservation at fishandwildlife.org. That's fishandwildlife.org. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Average Conservationist Podcast, and I'm your host, Marcus Ewing. So, today, we have... uh, a returning guest, Executive Director for 2% for Conservation, Jared Frazier. And I'm going to tell you right off the bat, we got a long one today. Jared and I get to dive into um, a lot of things. Uh, I mean, we cover uh, a whole bunch of things, I guess. Um, and we kind of, we start things off talking about uh, 2%, uh, you know, how their year looked in 2021, some of the changes that they've made, Um some of the the new things that they brought on board uh, with the two percent job board, 
the community, uh, excuse me, yeah, the community partner program, uh, the advisory committee, uh, things like this. And Jared uh, had put out a blog post about these things uh, right towards the tail end of last year. Um, <clears throat> but we're able to kind of break things down a little bit more and get a bit more uh, in depth and in detail uh, regarding these changes and these new programs that they have rolling out. Um, we get to look forward uh, to a little bit of 2022 of this year, uh, things that are coming. Um, you know, 2% continues to see uh, new businesses added uh, weekly, which is uh, very promising. It's super exciting to see, um, you know, more and more businesses that are reaching out and wanting to become 2% certified and wanting to give back uh, to wildlife. And, you know, the again, the variety of businesses uh, is very encouraging. Uh, for our future of the outdoors. Uh, from there, we also get to talk um, kind of about there's, uh, for any of you that were paying attention towards the end of last year, there was a bit of a shakeup with uh, an article and some podcasts out there about um, social media and hunting. And we'll, we'll just leave it at that. But Jared and I get to kind of go into that a little bit, share our thoughts um, on social media and you know, not just hunting, but also a bit of really just the outdoors in general and some of these uh, beautiful places uh, that we have. Um, so it's, uh, it's. I don't want to say we, 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 we kind of talk about some negative things, I guess, which is, um, it is quite different uh, than what Jared and I usually talk about. But um, we certainly felt like it was uh, a conversation and a topic that we needed to discuss and kind of get our thoughts out there um, because we don't want to just kind of seem like we have our head in the mud because uh, obviously uh, we certainly don't. Uh, let's see what else we talk about. Um, and really kind of what's uh, important um, to the business members, uh, the 2% business members kind of going into 2022 as well. So uh, again, you've been warned, this is a long episode, but it's a good one. Um, like any conversation that I have with Jared, packed full of a lot of passion, a lot of information, and uh, definitely a good way to kind of springboard us uh, into 2022 here uh, as our second episode. So episode 84, Jared Frazier, Executive Director. Uh, but today's episode is going to be brought to you by my friends over at Wild Rivers Coffee. Uh, Sammy and Marshall, the owners of Wild Rivers Coffee, um, true outdoorsmen, outdoors women, uh, true conservationists that have really started Wild Rivers Coffee as a way to help give back to wildlife. Uh, Wild Rivers Coffee, they're roasting in small batches so that they ensure that your coffee arrives to you at its peak freshness. Um, I can attest to that because I had ordered some coffee a while back and Sammy had turned around and emailed me the that same day and said, hey, we're waiting on one of the uh, batches to finish roasting. It'll be done tomorrow. Are you okay with waiting a day? I said, absolutely. I want it at its peak freshness like you guys promised. So, Wild Rivers Coffee is also a proud partner with 2% for Conservation, and they believe in preserving the wild places and wild things that bring all of us so much joy. That's why with everything they sell, a portion of proceeds are being donated to conservation organizations that are near and dear to them. So, head over to wildriverscoffeeco.com, order your fresh roasted beans, some super cool handmade mugs, ton of sweet merchandise, ton of accessories uh, for pour over, uh, grinding your own beans, anything like that. Uh, if you subscribe today, you're going to save 10% off your order. Or if you use the promo code, this is all caps, fish underscore wildlife, you're going to save 10% off your order as well. So again, head over to wildriverscoffeeco.com. Back with me today, I have the executive director of 2% for Conservation, Jared Frazier. 
Jared, how are you today? Doing pretty well. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, no problem. I uh, I always enjoy when we get to talk because obviously you and I get to to communicate, you know, a fair bit uh, offline. I guess you could say um, just about the podcast and kind of things that are happening in the conservation world uh, and things like that. But it's uh, it's always enjoyable when I get to have you on here because we can kind of break things down a little bit more and, and go into obviously a bit more detail and really try to let the listeners in uh, as much as possible on, on what's going on with, you know, not only 2%, but kind of in the conservation uh, world in general. So no, glad to have you back on. Awesome. So yeah, yeah, for sure. So <clears throat> let's kind of jump right into it here. Um, you had obviously put out a blog post uh, on fishandwildlife.org uh, right there at the end of, of 2021, kind of recapping things. And I know when you're when you're writing a blog post uh, or something along those lines, you want to try to keep it, you know, concise and to the point. You don't want to write a, a five page essay or anything like that. But 2021 certainly seemed like a pretty big year uh, for two percent, obviously, with uh, some of the new programs that you launched. Um, or some of the changes that you made in some of your current programs. Um, so I really kind of want to kind of kick things off and talk about that. So one of the first things was the community partner program. So why don't you tell our listeners about that if they're not familiar with it? Yeah, so this is something that we we took a stab at launching back in 2017, right at the end, right, right after I signed on as, as 2%'s first employee. Um, and it, it needed some refinement. That was for sure. Uh, cause it didn't come back until nearly four years later. <laughs> uh, and, and essentially what it is, uh, you know, what we were trying to do back then was, you know, make it easy for folks to find causes to support that our members already support, um, not try to list every conservation group on the planet because there's tens of thousands of them. Uh, but to list the ones, you know, that our members support in a way that's easy for other folks to find. And at the time, we just we didn't have the bandwidth to manage, you know, some of the industry politics that might come from listing different organizations next to each other. Um, you know, our, our, our logo is purple for a reason. Uh, conservation should be apolitical. It should be a, a non-politic issue. But anymore, it seems folks can try to throw politics into anything and back in 2017 that was definitely going on pretty heavily um and so different groups said hey we don't want to be listed on the same page as these other people it's like okay well so we instead of dealing with the headache we just pulled it down for the time being and, and took another run at it trying to figure out the best way to make it easy for folks to find causes to give back to and and that's really you know that's really at the core of this program our, our mission statement, you know, has this thing about an alliance of businesses and individuals supporting conservation with their time and dollars. And to make that feasible, we have to remove the barriers. And one, one of the biggest barriers is just finding a group and knowing what they do. So, yeah, you can you can Google conservation groups near me, but you're going to get a bunch of ads and then you're going to get you know, a couple big national orgs that are probably doing great work who have good SEO and stuff, but there's probably local groups you don't know about that are in your area that are doing good work as well. So 
we're building this program out. Um, you know, it's a continuous thing, but it launched on September 1st with about a dozen of the groups uh, that many of our business members support. And uh, here's how it works. It's, it's, it's free for the conservation groups to be involved in. Um, everything we do, we try to have the only areas where we're taking money be like our merchandise. And even that we try to price, you know, pretty low. Um, we have our annual dues, which we modeled after the Better Business Bureau, but then scaled back their, their cost. Um, and then we have a license plate in the state of Montana. We try not to charge for anything else that we do because money is a barrier. Um, even if you have plenty of it, still a barrier. It, it, it stops you from doing a lot of things if you have to make a decision for budget or whatever. So it's totally free for conservation groups to join. Um, one of the prerequisites is they need to already be supported by some members of ours. So it could either be business members or individual members of ours. And they need to be working in any one or more of the four general uh, key areas that we count towards giving back to conservation. And that was a challenging part. Um, and I think we were, we were just too young as an organization for our uh, for lack of a better word, authority on the subject to be respected back in 2017 when we tried to do this. Um, but defining what conservation is, is kind of what we have to do to certify, uh, if that makes sense. Um, you can't certify someone for something if it's not defined. So defining, you know, what we count as conservation work uh, was a big part of it. And, and it's narrowed down into four buckets. One is the obvious boots on the ground, sexy stuff of working with wildlife, working with habitat, um, where it's real obvious you're, you're working, you know, the land, you're doing good work on the planet. Um, the second and third are similar to each other, but kind of in their own niche. One is advocacy. So this is groups like the TRCP, uh, Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership, who do a ton of advocacy work at in D.C. and lobbying and advocating for uh, conservation bills and stuff like that. Uh, it could also look like, you know, having a, a local campaign in your home area for your local beach access or something like that. And and and, uh, you know, anti litter campaigns and things like that. Advocacy is, you know, letting the public know these are the needs and here's how we should behave as, as the public, or here's what we should care about as the public. The third is education, and it's similar to advocacy, but it, it's in its own space because it could look like, you know, kids' outdoor education programs where you take kids and, and teach them, you know, what different animal tracks look like. You teach them about the land. Uh, you could have, um, we have some veteran groups who take veterans who have, have come back and they want to keep serving their country and there's education around the outdoors and getting involved in conservation and using the outdoors as a healing place um, that absolutely uh, so, you know helps conservation work at large uh, having those kind of programs in place so that's the education side and then the fourth is access and uh, the reason why we include access as, as part of conservation is we can see from states and countries that don't have access for the general public to be able to go and experience wildlife, the wildlife suffers. And part of why it suffers is because the general public doesn't, you know, they don't have a reason to care. They don't have a personal tie. Yeah. They might watch a movie that, that could give them, you know, kind of a certain view on what the outdoors are, what wildlife needs, 
but they don't have a direct connection. And without that direct connection, we, we don't have good conservation practices happening. So we brought in at the launch, like I said, about a dozen orgs. Now we're up around 30 some plus that we have them on there on, on the website, on the conservation group directory page. Um, and they're listed by, uh, their categories so what kind of work they do so if you want to look at access ones you want to look for advocacy ones they're listed in there um but then also we have on a map we have pins for their different chapters or their main offices or their main contact points for if you want to get in touch with these folks um and that's that's why (laughs) that's why it's only at 30 some right now getting the correct info takes time uh for example mule deer foundation They've got like 138 chapters across the U.S., and we had to get, you know, correct contact info for every single chapter, make sure the pin was in the exact right location, and that was just one organization. Uh, And again, we're we're doing this for free. We want anyone to be able to find these groups. So we're in the process of onboarding some other big ones, um, getting all their chapters dialed in so that we can get them on the map just right. But we're also starting to add some of the smaller, you know, local conservation causes that our members support. Uh, it just takes, it takes some time to get them, <laughs> get them all up there. But when it's, you know, it, it'll never be done, but it'll be closer to completion when we're up in that uh, 1700 org range uh, because that's how many organizations our members support right now, just over 1700 organizations around the world. Um, So it's, you know, the job will never be done because our members will always find more groups to support. Um, But this will eventually be a one-stop shop totally for free for anyone who wants to find a good cause to give to that has already been vetted by us to do the work that they say they do. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things that I I really like about the, um, the community partner program is it's essentially, it's kind of uh, eliminating or really lowering that barrier to entry for people to get involved because I've talked to a number of guests on here. Right. And, when they first kind of got involved um, in conservation, uh, more along the lines of actually donating their time or dollars um, back, was they they weren't really sure where to start, right? And and it's like you said, it can be very overwhelming when you just you know search Google um, for conservation orgs near you, right? Or you can yeah. always, you know, there are a lot of people prior to let's say becoming two percent certified. They knew uh, of kind of the big ones, right? The the RMEFs, um, the you know previously QDMA, the TRCP. They knew about a lot of those, but and mm-hmm. this is you know from my personal experience, what I found was I I get a lot more fulfillment and enjoyment of working like you just said with those the local organizations, the the local chapters, uh, because for the most part that's where these people are doing a lot of their recreating, right? Is, is right there at home, mm-hmm. you know, in, in my case right mm-hmm. here in Michigan. Um, so I want my time and my dollars to go back to things that, that I'm directly impacting, uh, in terms of, you know, deer hunting or, or fishing or turkey hunting or whatever it is and support those groups that are doing things, you know, that, uh, that are right here at home. And 
a tool like the Community Partner Program makes it so much easier for for any and everyone to to get involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's you know it's it's an it's an area of our work that honestly, when we launched, was not something that was expected. When uh, it, this came up last year in our board meeting, uh, Jeff Spazito, our our founder, who's now president of Stone Glacier. Um, he said, when we started this, we, we thought people would already know where they were going to be giving. We never saw that as being a, you know, a primary need, uh, when, when businesses are, are looking to get certified that the idea that they wouldn't know where to give. And it's, you know, when you work in the outdoor space, you know, outdoor gear, hunting, angling, because the conservation causes have been so tied to a lot of things, to a, to a lot of the general information and stuff for a long time, because they did such a good job in the eighties and nineties of, you know, like you mentioned RMEF, like bugle magazine. I was reading that as a kid, Yeah, you know, um, in Wisconsin, <laughs> uh, because of that, you know, we, we, we knew about them. Um, but, turns out that's a very small portion of the population <laughs> right that, that was that was growing up doing that and uh i would say any more uh so today i've had three calls already with businesses two of them new one of them uh that that just came on with us just recently but the other two they're they're just you know reaching out to us to learn about certification those two businesses had no idea of any causes right like, could not couldn't name if you put a gun to their head. I mean, maybe they would they would yell out something, you know, like World Wildlife Fund or or, or something, you know, something that they've seen on the news, you know, or something like that. But when it comes down to who's doing work in their backyard, who's their local land trust, uh, do they have a chapter of one of these big organizations, you know, in their town? Um, the one, I mean, they were in a pretty major city and have one of the biggest chapters of a big conservation group. Um, that regularly wins, you know, donor uh, uh, recognition awards for how many dollars are brought in. Um, they they had no idea that that group even exists. Meanwhile, their their town is providing um, nearly a million dollars in member donations to this cause every year. So, um, you know, that was not a part of what we saw as being something that would be needed. But it's an area that it definitely aligns with our mission statement to try to help fulfill. Yeah, and I think it's because, certainly... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, well, I was just going to say, if people don't know, it, it just, you know, it, it stops right there. If, if they have no idea where and what's possible, it stops at that point. Yeah, so kind of speaking of, you know, just the, the example you just gave with um, speaking with two... Um, new members or, you know, potential members that had just re- reached out looking for information. How does a company or or a business that, you know, doesn't really know a lot uh, about kind of the conservation organization world and what's out there, how is it, in your opinion, I guess, that an organization like that makes that step to reach out to 2% to want to become certified if they don't really know 
you know, where to give back or who to give back to or, or who is even, you know, I guess, eligible as a conservation org to give back to. You mean how do they find us? Yeah, I mean, what what do you think it, it is yeah. that makes them want to become certified then? You know, it's they, they want to support wildlife conservation in, in general. It, this is one thing we always ask at the beginning of every conversation with a new business. What's your story? You know, what what led you to be doing what you're doing for work, you know, obviously, but also why, why do you care about conservation? We always ask that. And every single one of them has a personal story. I take that back every once in a while, (laughs) every (laughs) once in a while, they say, well, our customers contacted us and said we needed to become 2% certified. And those relationships go about as far as you think they will, if they're, you know, doing it specifically for market share purposes. Right. Um, I should say exclusively for market share purposes. Uh, but it's nearly always, um, they say, well, you know, when I was a kid, so-and-so took me and yada, yada, yada. Or when I was in college, I moved, I ended up going to this, you know, school and started hanging out with these people who rock climbed or who went fishing and stuff. Uh, they always have this story and you hear, you know, our phone calls start like a typical business call. Hey, how's it going? Oh, pleasure meeting you. What's the weather like? You know, but as soon as they start telling their story, as you've heard on the podcast, you know, uh, as you've re- as you've recorded with a lot of these folks after they get certified, when they start to get to talk about the outdoors, it's very clear. Like this is a core part of them, right? And so that. You know, when we when we start hearing how they find us, a lot of times it's I was sitting up late at night. I just needed to find a way. And we're getting to where our SEO and stuff is, is we're starting to and we don't pay for ads right now, um, you know, to show up in people's search results when they're looking for stuff like this. We're, our budget's just not there yet. Um, but, you know, we're starting to show up in people's search results at two in the morning when they're doom scrolling on their phone, but trying to find something good to do. Um, in fact, this morning, one of the calls I had, the guy was just doing that over, over new year's. He was up sitting up. He's like, I want to, I want to make some changes with what my business does and was looking for, he, he said he was Googling ways to give back and conservation causes to give back to. And we were one of the first search results for helping him find that. Um, so people are going out of their own way, but also we have, you know, we have some referrals too. And this is what folks might find this interesting. Um, and there might be some action for you all to take with this. About a quarter of the businesses that come to us that don't know where to give were referrals from businesses that absolutely knew where they wanted to give. So it's friends of other business owners and those friends have no comprehension of the conservation causes that their other, you know, the friend that referred them is very passionate and, and, you know, ardent about, um, a couple weeks ago, right before the holidays, we had someone call in as a referral, uh, to have their business get certified. Um, their friend is, works for one of the businesses that's already certified with us. They're the ones that referred them. That friend is like super advocate, you know, for, for the different conservation causes that that business supports. But this other friend, because of the way social media works, never saw those posts. 
um, had no idea that their friend was like a life member of four different organizations and they've been friends for a long time. So just because you think your friends understand why conservation orgs, you know, why the ones that are important to you are important to you, just because you think they understand that doesn't necessarily mean they do um, or that they know, you know, why you're putting so much effort and, and time into these things, you know, that you care about. Um, it, it could be that they have no idea that you're doing that. Yeah. Well, what, that kind of, it's a really good lead in, uh, or transition, I guess, into the, one of the other new programs, um, that 2%, I don't want to say a new program, but, uh, a change to a previous program. Um, now you have the committee program, uh, which just kind of, uh, took a new shape, I guess, in 2021. Tell me about that. Yeah. So at the very end of the year, and 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 I should clarify, there are some folks listening who are like, wait, I'm in the committee program. What's going on? <laughs> we haven't been able to get everybody via email and phone yet. We've, we've been slowly working through the list. Um, so just to be clear, like no one's been, you, you've not been hacked or anything like that. Or, or removed from the program. It's, we're, we're, we're trying to catch up. Um, so our committee program was kind of the precursor to the community partner program. Uh, it was a way for folks to connect to uh, folks doing work with different conservation causes and to get plugged in with them. Uh, we did that because, like I said, when I tried to launch the program initially, the partner program initially, um, it was a little less uh, rigid in expectations and stuff and like, Hey, you have to play well with others and, and whatnot. Um, and so I had to figure out a way to, to, you know, still get folks plugged into groups and, you know, outside of my area, uh, folks were calling and saying, Hey, I live in Pennsylvania. What are some good groups to give to them? Like, Oh, come on, man. Let me <laughs> Google that for you. <laughs> um, uh, cause like I know of groups doing work in Pennsylvania, but in your specific area, but well, let, let me try to figure this out. Which mountain range are you talking about in New Mexico? Yeah. Let me try to figure something out. Um, so we, we opened it up back in 2019 and I thought like five people would apply in the Bozeman area to be like reps of a couple groups here. And we had over a hundred people apply around the U S and Canada and they were quality. They were like, you know, board chair for name of organization that everyone knows kind of thing. Uh, I, I say that after just going off about how people don't know about different groups, but you know what I mean? Like <laughs> right. in the industry, like these were, these were folks that it's hard to even get on their calendar and they were like, Hey, I want to be involved. So, Oh crap, we got to scale this and change up how it looks and what it does and all that. So the program evolved and evolved, but eventually our membership needs outpaced what even what that program could do. So now, you know, we've got about a hundred or so of these volunteers or employees at organizations who are the creme de la creme of, of two percenters. I mean, they, they live to give back. These folks do. Um, if, if you were to remove it from their lives, they, you know, the, the whole, like, why am I on this planet question starts to get real scary for them. You know, if you were to remove conservation volunteering for them. Right. So, you know, we have all these folks, but 
you know, the needs of the organization and our membership are now moving in this other direction. So what do we do? Well, I'd already been kind of using them in this new way for a, a little while as we were starting to have more questions come up from business members of like, hey, what events should we be at this year? Um, or what are what are organizations doing for events this year? Or, um, hey, how do we do a trail cleanup? How do we do a roadside cleanup? How do we how do we sign up to do a controlled burn um, uh, or our business members, you know, giving feedback, you know, me calling them and going, Hey, what do you think about this program or that program? Would it be helpful for you? Or am I just, you know, taking one person's idea and running too far with it, all these different kind of things. And so what we reached out to them on was, Hey, and again, not all committee members have been contacted yet because this, it started about halfway through December is when the the port started. So it's not even a, a full month of porting people over from the one program to the new one, but it's an advisory council. It's a volunteer advisory council. And so instead of these folks being point people, which they can still be, we are moving some of their pins over to the community partner map as they are some of the key points of contact for those organizations. Um, and, and if they want to be key points of contact for 2% stuff, we'll put a 2% badge on that map. We have a few folks who will be getting that in the next couple of weeks. But what this role will be is basically they're going to provide their collective brain pan to our membership and to 2% to make sure that we collectively, our members and our staff, that we are being as efficient as possible in our following our, our, our mission. So it has five different committees on it that these folks are being moved into. And we will be adding some new folks as well um, who kind of fit these roles. Um, but there's five different committees. Uh, the first one is what we call like a lifestyle committee. These are folks who live out the 2% standard in their personal lives um, that are doing river cleanups and hosting banquets and pint nights and uh, teaching hunters education classes and stuff like that. And they're going to share how they do what they do. They're going to be available uh, for folks to contact, uh, not, you know, average Joe Schmo, you know, calling them at random hours of the day and night to say, hey, how do you do a, a, road, a road cleanup? But our business members, they'll be able to, to get direct from them. And they're going to do uh, social media tutorials on how to, you know, the, the fact you need like liability insurance and waivers and stuff like that and how to, how to get stuff like that set up for cheap. Like they know how to do all this stuff and it will save business members and, and, and individual members tens of thousands of dollars a year just following their best practices. So that's the first one. It's a lifestyle uh, committee. The second one is a business member committee. And this is, this is for, uh, employees and managers and owners of 2% business members who want to be involved in this to advise us on our programs. So like when we launched the job board uh, back in October, having some input from some of these folks was crucial um, in making sure that it was set up in a way that was painless for them to use so that they actually use it when they need to hire people. And so that people actually use it when they're looking for a place to to find a, a conservation supporting business or a conservation cause to work for. Um, so that's, there's a business committee. Uh, there's a, a media award committee. So they'll help find conservation media award uh, nominees 
so entries to be added, but they'll also vote on on it and uh, help us get more diverse conservation media into that award program, which that actually that opens up next week uh, for uh, nominations for 2022, which hard to believe it's already here. I know. Um, yeah. <laughs> the fourth the fourth one is a wildlife committee. And this is this is uh, folks who uh, keep us informed on stuff happening on the habitat uh, legislation on on, um, you know, if there's a major die off happening in an area or an extirpation of wildlife in their area to let us know so we can let our members know um, to help advise our membership on how to act on some of these things uh, as they're happening. Um, and then the, the fifth one is events. And this is for uh, folks who are serial event, <laughs> serial event goers. We have some committee. So they were in our committee program now as an advisor. Um, these are, these are people who go to like 20 banquets a year um, <laughs> or who go to, you know, every hunt expo or conservation um fundraiser show in like an eight hour or more radius. Um, the kind of information that they can provide to business members on, Hey, this is how you should set up your booth to have the most impact or, Hey, here's how you could partner with this conservation cause at this event to have the most impact that, I mean, it, it, it's going to save so much money. Uh, for our membership, but also it's going to it's going to really help conservation causes in the general public uh, get in contact with good conservation causes in a more tangible and, and kind of fun ways, too. So that's the program as it will be moving forward. It's just kind of a natural progression um, of a scaling of our organization. And, man, I am so thankful for the folks who joined our committee program back in 2019 and, and since then. Um, and to be able to have them stay on um, and to be able to have their collective input moving forward. I mean, I feel terrible that, like, the news is out about this and we haven't been able to get a hold of all of them yet. Uh, part of it is our brand coordinator. She's on maternity leave right now. So, you know, uh, the staff, you're talking to all of them yeah, right now. Right, right. Um, <laughs> so kind of drinking from a fire hose a little bit. At this point, we are we are bringing an intern on soon, but um, this program we're just going to slowly be porting over into its into its new space. So again, if you're a committee member and you're listening to this and you're like, "Why haven't I been contacted?" It's, <laughs> it's probably because it's alphabetical, or your email bounced back, or something. But I will I will be getting in touch with you within the next couple weeks. Yeah. Well, I mean, so. Kind of, there's there there seems to be kind of a general theme um, between the two new programs that you guys rolled out, and that's uh, I sound like an echo chamber a little bit, but it's just the ease of people being able to to gather this information or to find the information that they need to get involved or to be more effective with their efforts or to find organizations that fit, like the intro says, fit what they care about. Right. And you're having this all in one place where people can can easily find and access this information. And, you know, in this day and age, right, like everyone wants this instant gratification. 
um, especially when it comes to mm-hmm. like trying to search for something, trying to find something, they want to be able to find it now. Um, and yeah. a lot of times, you know, you have to do a little bit of digging, right. To find certain things, especially, you know, going back to, you know, local conservation organizations or local chapters of organizations, you have to, you know, go to the website, you know, look through chapters, look through, um, you know, who's in charge of that chapter, where that chapter resides at in your state. And to, to have all this information, um, in one area, uh, just makes it so much easier for, you know, members, um, you know, both business and individual, and then, you know, really help those people capitalize on, on the information that's out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of looking into the future a little bit of where things are headed to some degree. Um, because of how fractured social media has made our world, finding things has actually gotten harder. Like you, you think about how finding things used to be not that long ago. Um, I mean, you think even five, eight years ago before Facebook really started, you know, separating people based off of interests or what the algorithm thought their interests were. It was easy for folks to meet new people. Um, You think about meeting new people anymore and there has to be some breakthrough moment, something that just kind of cuts through the crap to allow you to be able to do that. And, you know, we're not, the last two years travel's not been super possible. So going to new events and stuff has been a challenge and people are zoomed out for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, so having a place where it's a one-stop shop and where it's free, where finding out there's not a paywall to find out how to give back. There's not a paywall to have a positive thing be added to your life. Um, like, a, you know, like a lot of folks, um, over the course of the last, you know, couple of years, I've been trying, you know, it, it make sure my mental health is in the right place and stuff just with being cooped inside four walls <laughs> so much, uh, even here in Montana. Yeah, that happens. Um, social space is being shut down and stuff. And, and it's, it, something I kept running into is there was always a paywall for an opportunity or if, if you're trying to find out good information, like an article and stuff, there's a paywall. So to, to have it be free, to have it be easily translated into other languages too. So that if English isn't your first language, like let's say you're from Quebec or from the Southwest and you're speaking French or Spanish, um, to be able to have it easily translate and, you know, work for you. If we can remove all of those barriers, and even if you know, even if it's if it's super simple stuff like this, if it if we're moving that needle for conservation in a steady way, we're fulfilling our mission. And um, it was pretty clear to us, you know, as we've done these programs, which stuff is is needed and which stuff is just kind of like superfluous, like eh, it's not really needed. So like our our Bozeman Conservation Convention was awesome uh back in 2019 i mean it was hilarious it was it was summer solstice and it snowed um (laughs) and and but we had you know uh over 300 folks representing tons of organizations 
from the, the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, all coming together, meeting together, business members interacting with them, you know, folks who had, who had been, oh, yeah, we've been told we should meet, you know, for the longest time. We never have. It was cool. Um, but where we're headed, it was it, it just not a, you know, fit for where we're moving, moving forward. So uh, as an organization, you have to look at your programs and go, all right, is it fulfilling our mission? Yeah, that one kind of did specifically in our home area, but someone else could probably do that. When it comes to stuff like this, though, no one else is really doing it. And if they are, they're making you pay for it. Right. So let's find a way to open up the doors to everybody because that's the only way we're going to get the natural world to, to be where it needs to be and, and having the funding it needs and the volunteers that it needs uh, to ensure that it, things are around for future generations to even observe, much less enjoy. Yeah, that uh, that inclusiveness uh, that you're, you're kind of talking about, I mean, that's key for for everything really is is giving everyone uh, equal opportunities um, to to access that information and make decisions based off of that instead of, you know, being potentially at a disadvantage if you don't have the money to obtain uh, the information that, you know, whoever else has. And, and, you know, it's uh, to level the playing field in that regard for any and everyone, uh, you're right, is absolutely critical and key um, to, to moving that needle in the right direction. And, and it's, I mean, we feel extremely fortunate to be in a position to be able to do that as, as a young, still, you know, we turned five this, this last year, 2021 was our fifth year in existence. And, um, you know, your, your, your big, thresholds or your big mile markers or, you know, do you make it a year? Do you make it three years? Do you make it five years, you know, still in existence? And, and not only that, but are you, you know, are you growing? Um, but then are you expanding how, you know, you're completing your mission and are you, are you getting more effective at your mission? And, you know, if things aren't doing that we're not going to tackle it. People ask us if we'll do like, uh, you know, programs like, uh, setting up boots on the ground projects all over the country. We, we get that question a lot. Um, you know, Hey, you guys are facilitating all these things. Why don't you just run them? That's, that's not what we're here for. Uh, that would, that would distract from us completing our mission. Um, there's already a couple tens of thousands of groups doing boots on the ground work. We just need to get folks in touch with them or we need to help them be more efficient in what they're doing by giving them ways to communicate with each other. So the advisory program, it'll help with that. And the community partner program, it helps with that. Um, getting the right people in the right places, the job board that launched this year, it, it helps with that. Um, you know, we were, we were taking phone calls almost every week uh, or, or, you know, text messages, Instagram messages, website contacts. Hey, how do we work for one of the conservation causes you guys work with? How do we, how do we get a job at one of the 2% businesses? Do you know of any of them that are hiring? So that's going on while there's an employee shortage in, in the country. Right. Um, and a lot of these organizations and businesses are like, we're having a hard time finding employees. Like, well, um, 
you know, having an alliance of businesses and individuals that support conservation, that's in our mission statement. And we've got businesses and individuals trying to find each other right now. So let's build a free job board. Yeah. Uh, and it, yeah, we built it and it's live yesterday. Um, two new job postings went out, one with Mule Deer Foundation, one with Montana Wildlife Federation. Um, and we're slowly getting more of, again, it's, it's a process of, you know, having our members understand how they can use it, that it's free for them to use, that it's free for anyone to access, free to subscribe, to get email updates when there's job postings. Um, it's taken some time, you know, to scale up, but no one had that. Yeah. There were tons of outdoor industry job boards and yeah, there's like conservation jobs, which you could, you know, find jobs for the park service and stuff like that. But there wasn't something like this where uh, jobs with conservation groups and businesses that support conservation causes. So, you know, bandwidth is something we're always having to measure um, given, you know, our funding mechanisms and our staffing size and stuff like that. But when there's an opportunity to fulfill your mission, that's pretty easy and low on the time commitment side once it's built, kind of stupid not to do it. So uh, I, I think it was um, well, it was one of the Stoics who said, don't, don't hold off for tomorrow what you can get done today. Um, so instead of waiting until we had you know, someone to run a job board, we decided to tag it on and do it right now. So we'll keep doing that with programs, but our advisory council, will, you know, the, the, <laughs> the business uh, committee, business member committee, they'll help us know if we're just blowing smoke or if it's something that will be actually, you know, necessary. So, yeah, the job board is, I'm glad that you kind of worked your way into that because that was going to be the next thing that I had asked about. But the job board to me is, and maybe this is uh, me kind of speaking selfishly here, is this is something that I was looking for, right? I mean, me personally, mm. like, how can, I mean, you and I, I've called you about this, you know, prior to the job board launching saying, yeah. you know, hey, Jared, do you know of any of these companies that are potentially hiring? You know, I'm looking for, for something as well. And, you know, you, you, you told me about it and you're like, just wait, it's coming. And there's going to be all of these um, organizations and businesses that are just going to, it's going to be kind of a, a one-stop shop for 2% businesses that are looking for people to hire. And it's awesome because it, I feel like it's it's connecting the right people um, in a very direct way. You have instead of you know posting on your ZipRecruiter, your LinkedIn, whatever, where you know a lot of times people aren't using it uh, maybe to its full potential, right? You have uh, you know, one place that you can go to 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 find some of these types of jobs, and it's for the organization or for the employer. It's it's auto, it's it's kind of doing this filtering uh, you know on its own based on the people yeah. who are you know receiving the updates that there's new job postings and, and things like that because they're the the potential employees that are looking uh, to get involved with these types of companies and mm-hmm. it, as 21 kind of goes along i mean it, you know it, i've i've seen it in a few places but like the great reshuffle right where people are yeah. you know leaving maybe corporate america and it seems and looking for new places or becoming a bit more entrepreneurial and starting their own business. But it seems and I want to kind of get your thoughts on this as well. But it seems that people have 
not everyone, but a lot of people have kind of shifted what's more important to them. Is it money mm. or is it time, right? Because when a lot of these things that we love to do, I don't want to say they were taken away, but they were limited to some degree. Um, you know, going out of state for hunts or, or things like that just weren't as possible because of travel. Or I mean, there's a list of reasons over the last two years uh, on why people maybe haven't been able to enjoy as much of what they love. But I mean, are you seeing that as well? Is that more people want, you know, they're putting more of an emphasis on the time aspect. They want more free time. The money will come and go. I mean, they're working, you know, 60 hours a week making, you know, six, you know, mid six figures to try to support that and not support the lifestyle, but support the, the hobbies and the activities that they like to do. But they were working so much, they didn't have the time to do those things, right? So the money really didn't make a difference. It was, it was time. And now with, you know, working a job that pays less, but gives you more free time, it seems to me that that's what people um, are kind of shifting and gravitating towards. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it might even be not more free time, but that their work time is the kind of things that they actually like. Um, so one, you know, if, if people can, for a second, like just, remove from your mind all the politicizing and hot take stuff that you've heard on like, well, millennials just don't want to work or people just want to get checks from the government. And like, like just tone that out for a second, (laughs) for a brief second. Um, And, and I'll share my story in brief on, because I was kind of on the front end of this. Uh, This, this wasn't, this was like something that was ramping up COVID and, and um, you know, the, the, the weirdness of the last couple of years has escalated. It's the speed of it happening, but it was already happening in 2017 when I shut down my business. And I mean, it, it was a good business. Uh, I was extremely proud of it. Um, I, I thought like, you know, when one of my goals, having grown up super poor, um, one of my goals was to buy a house before age 30, uh, to be able to do that and, um, to be, you know, making enough money that my family would be comfortable. Um, and you know, not having a college degree and stuff and, and just how things went with, you know, the way I, I, I graduated young from high school and left the home young and, and uh, my weird uh, career path and stuff, like just the fact that I got there, like I was, I was extremely proud of at the time. And then I started to hate it. <laughs> I was, to be blunt about I it. Was gone. I was gone a lot. I was working so much. Um, and, and, people like you know well you shouldn't be afraid you know you should be lucky to work and like yeah you should be glad to work absolutely 80 hours a week though is a bit excessive (laughs) and uh doesn't matter how much you're making that's excessive you're you're not getting family time uh you're not getting uh to to pursue supporting your passions there's you know we all have to have a why and just because it's been marketed to us that your why should look a certain way 
by the media that we intake, the movies, the news we watch, the podcasts we listen to, you know, people screaming success looks like this to you over and over and over again. Um, that, that doesn't mean that that's the case. Um, you know, I've, I've unfortunately found a lot of the folks screaming about personal independence want folks to work and, and, uh, live, a, you know, exactly like them. <laughs> and, and that's, that's not the way the world is. And, and COVID really shook folks out of that. So for me, for me, I was just working so much and started realizing I was missing my, you know, kid milestones, different milestones with my kids when they were little. But not only that, um, I started volunteering. Like I had no time to give, but it was like, all right, I need to have some time that I give that is um, going specifically, specifically to things that I'm passionate about. So I started allocating time volunteering in different ways. And then it got to the point that I, I loved that volunteering way more than I loved the work that I was doing, even though I was doing it 100% for free, often on my own dime. Like I, I flew myself down to sheep show to, uh, staff, uh, BHA's first booth at sheep show. Um, like to, to volunteer for that, like paid for my own registration, paid for my flight down, paid to like get the supplies down there. Um, because I was like, this is the best thing ever. My wife's like, this is, this is a weird thing to do with our, but our money. <laughs> and, uh, so when, when the job opportunity came along with 2% and it's like, you're going to cut your pay down to one third of what it was. Like, as I was looking at what 2% could afford to pay me and when, and what 2% could afford to pay me for like quite a while, like I'm still getting paid what I was getting paid kind of when I went, well, when I went full time, I, I, you know, there's not been a pay increase at all, which is okay. I knew that was going to be the case. It was totally worth it to make one third of what I was making before. And yeah, things are tighter. We don't, you know, we don't go out to eat that often. Um, however, my kids have eaten some really amazing backpacks, you know, uh, freeze-dried meals on goat surveys and on river cleanups and on trail cleanups. And, um, you know, we get to go to fundraiser barbecues and stuff and help raise money for different things. So, yeah, we're not eating at a restaurant necessarily, but they're learning about giving back in a way that my last job, my career, my business that I built just could not adequately teach them. Uh, meanwhile, I was also pretty absent. So a lot of folks were stuck at home and were working from home and were realizing this quality of life is higher. Um, and not only that, but these opportunities to work and have it go to something more than a paycheck feels really good. And the kind where you actually sleep well at night, um, you know, finance problems are a major reason why people lose sleep and like leading cause of divorce and all those things. So that, I mean, that's serious, but right up next to that is not being able to pursue passions and feeling dead inside and giving back, um, and having a job that inherently gives back 
or that gives you opportunities to give back to give back or incentivizes giving back. You know, you think of working for one of the two percent certified brands that, you know, as an employee, you get two days a year or a week a year that you're paid to go and volunteer. Like, holy cow. <laughs> Yeah. You, know, you you could be doing a, you could be doing accounting uh, for the Mule Deer Foundation. They're hiring for that right now. Um, you could be doing data uh, management for Montana Wildlife Federation and live where you live right now. Um, they're hiring for that right now. Um, yeah, you'll be making way less than if you're doing that at a big company. However, it's going to open up doors that were closed to you because you never had the time because you were using all that money you were making to try to make you feel something for one long weekend a year or a couple days of hunting or one family trip a year where if you have a job working directly with it, it's part of your life all the time. So you don't need to take all those trips because it's just already happening. Yeah, no, that's... That's very well put. And I think that uh, a lot of people um, who have had the time to reflect uh, over the last two years, uh, you know, on their employment situation or just their their work life balance um, would probably echo that the, the same sentiment where, you know, it just it wasn't worth it. They weren't getting that fulfillment uh, and all the things that you just mentioned. Um, so it's certainly, you know, kind of tying it all back into the job board. Um, it's very cool to see uh, that these companies <clears throat> are are using uh, that resource to to find the people um, who are already passionate uh, about whatever the brand or organization is representing. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> I want to shift gears a little bit here, and well, before I get to that, let's uh, kind of quickly. What do you or what does two percent? have in store for 2022 that uh that you can talk about well uh that i can talk about is is the operative phrase there (laughs) yeah it always is it always is Um, with guests so on on 2222 so february 2nd uh we're opening up our linkedin community page so this will be a place for folks uh who are professionals uh, whether business members or individual members to uh, share what they're doing for conservation, to talk about things that are working like uh, employee incentive programs, things like that, uh, consumer incentive programs, you know, how do you incentivize your customers to join you in giving back and stuff like that. It's not going to be a place for like, here's a conservation thing that I'm super passionate about. Please come support it. It's not, it's not, it's not going to be for that. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, there's plenty of that uh, out, you know, out in the wild, um, you know, uh, for folks to do. Um, but it's going to be a place for folks to be able to discuss how to be more effective. So that launches on February 2nd. We're going to have a bit more information rolling out over the course of the next couple of weeks. Uh, we're about halfway through January right now. So it's only a couple of weeks away that this will be live. Um, but folks will be able to go in there and we're going to have a weekly concert or Conservation conversation starters. Ooh, it's, it's going to be better types than said. Uh, but we're going to have these little conversation starters in there every week of how do you do this with your business? How do you, um, what are your ideas about uh, setting up uh, ways for your community to know uh, why you care about certain causes to help them give back to these things in your area? Things like that. 
Um, so that launches February 2nd. Um, and then, of course, we'll have, uh, towards the end of the summer, we'll have Community Conservation Day again. Uh, we're working on a program with a couple of our community partners that will take place here in Montana um, for wildlife. We're going to be kind of co-sponsoring it, but in a, in a, in a fairly hands-off way, but you'll be seeing quite a bit of info on that. I can't talk about it yet, but you'll start seeing info on that starting in February. Um, like I mentioned a little earlier next week, our, our, uh, media award opens up for nominations again. So nominating books, articles, podcasts, movies, TV shows, um, YouTube videos, health, TikTok accounts, <laughs> um, that elevate conservation work and conservation needs. Uh, we want to, we really want to, um, you know, really expand that this year. Uh, there, there's one nominee that that's already loaded in, and I know that because I'm nom- nominating him. But there's this dude on TikTok. Yes, I'm on TikTok. Um, who who uh, does these quick habitat videos in the southeast? And the dude has been trying to like get folks to follow him on on Instagram forever. Had like maybe four thousand followers after seven years. On TikTok, he's got over 400,000 followers. Oh, wow. Watching his, like, this is a native habitat area. And there's, like, teenage kids finding out, like, here's here's an invasive weed. I'm going to pull it. And they're, like, duetting his videos of, like, pulling ragweed, or not ragweed, but, like, uh, different types of thistles and stuff and introduce species and things. And so there's, you know, broadening what we think about when we say outdoor media and conservation media. Um, that's a big push for us this year. Um, so that, that opens for nominations next week. Um, and then there's more stuff, but I, I can't really divulge yet. Sure. It's, it's, it's prenatal, so to speak. Yeah, no, no, that's, that's quite all right. Um, but you mentioned something there with, with TikTok. And one of the other things I wanted to to talk about at the end of at the end of last year, there was um, I don't know if a big uproar uh, is the right way to say it, but there was certainly some some feathers ruffled with some comments made um, essentially about social media um, kind of ruining hunting um, or you know social media attracting people to hunting for the wrong reasons. And, you know, obviously everyone is entitled to their own opinion uh, on any subject matter. And I don't want to uh, discount someone's opinion uh, by any means. And there has uh, been multiple podcasts and articles written um, in rebuttal uh, to to the original uh, article that came out in the original podcast uh, that took place. But I kind of wanted to get your thoughts um on, on how you see social media playing a part uh, in hunting and the outdoors. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> Take it away. So, so I teach Hunter's Ed, and this is something that we started adding at our local Hunter's Ed, uh, you know, course, our, our, lo- our local class days is talking with the kids. Um, about what and how they post. Um, this might framing this conversation might help a little bit if we take a step outside of hunting first and and look at what at some of the negative effects can be 
without hunting being involved as far as social media and the outdoors. Um, Instagram is maybe the worst thing to ever happen to our natural resources as far as human recreation destruction of those natural resources or, or overuse. Um, I mean, the fact that you have to get a permit to drive into Glacier National Park now uh, on its, in its main entrances uh, is directly related to people posting their stuff on social media, uh, being at Glacier and, and growing their social media following, um, and, and that being the reason for, for going there. Um, the number of booty pics my kids have accidentally uh, been in the background, you know, uh, um, uh, well, I can't remember the phrase for it, but, you know, uh, wandered into uh, as they were happening at national parks is certainly more than ever happened when I was a kid. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's like every time. And, and the reason why my kids are in the background is because those people are traipsing off the path going and standing next to the wildlife, standing on top of all the wildflowers, standing on top of the sensitive ecosystem, standing uh, or swimming out into an area they're not supposed to be in, climbing up over the railing to go and get a photo from a certain angle so that they can sell their Lululemon or whatever. And it's destroying our, 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 our natural habitat areas. I was in glacier this summer a bunch uh my kids uh went to camp up at the glacier institute um which is an awesome camp if you're looking to send your kids to a camp that like does outdoor education stuff and is affordable and whatnot it's it it borders glacier national park and is phenomenal so i got to spend while one of the kids was you know at camp I, i got to spend the week in glacier with the other kid and then flip uh when 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 they switched and you know was working from the coffee shops in the area and whatnot and man, oh man, it's a good thing I wasn't recording any videos or podcasts or anything because I was mad like the whole damn time. Um, we, we, we were on this boardwalk um, up at the top of the Going to the Sun Road and folks had chased a, a mountain goat kid into a corner where it could not get out and were cornering it for pictures. Oh, that's terrible. And a park ranger was like trying to get them to stop, but it was like a, she was pretty senior. Like she wasn't armed with a taser. One of one of those park rangers and she's trying to get them to stop. And they're like yelling at her that she's being like, she's gatekeeping and all this stuff. Meanwhile, they're abusing this wild animal. Right. Um, also the, the nanny was up on the hill, like looking down and I know goats and she was making the kind of body language of like, someone's going to get gored in a second. Well, then someone takes their, their dog and wants to get their dog's picture taken with the goat and is trying to take their dog up to it. And dogs aren't even supposed to be in Glacier National Park um, because of the wildlife. But now we've got people taking their dog there. And so I talked to the ranger real briefly because I went and I just I yelled at people like I, I, I nearly got physical with them you know, before someone gets gored by this nanny. Um, Cause they'll kill you, you know, over that. And yeah. better, better someone get pushed or, or pulled away in a headlock by me than <laughs> them getting a big gash in their gut from a mountain goat. Um, as happened in Olympic national park a few years ago. Um, 
And so I went and talked to the ranger after the people had kind of started to dissipate. And she was like, it's like this all day, every single day. Wow. Every single day, every part of the park, people are like this. And I watched it happen every part of the park, every day that I was in there. We watch it in Yellowstone. We watch it in our everywhere around here. The people are coming to these areas and they're trying to take pictures. It's not that they're going up and trying to like, See it up close to go. Oh, let me see the annuli on their horns. You know, they're not like what? What's what's the shape of its iris and its eye? That's that's not why they're trying to get that close. They're trying to get. They're trying to go viral, is what they're doing. I mean, I saw people trying to do dances and stuff um, right next to loon nests up in an alpine lake. Like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> so that's happening outside the hunting world. Okay, that's what's going on now. Let's add killing the animal to that. And you have that going on within the hunting world. You have people posting, I'm hunting in this area. You've got to come to this state. Or I got my public land bull here in this unit. And they're doing it because they're trying to get sponsors. You know, you see their photos on social media and they've got like their cooler stacked next to their kill. They've got their stove. They've got their their uh, overland camping rig parked behind them. You know, they set up a whole photo shoot, you know, uh, to take a photo. You know, you got to get your rifle laid on the deer in just the right way or your bow. Um, you got to be wearing the right hat with the right brand, hoping that they sponsor you. Um, the same thing's going on in hunting, except killings involved. And I mean, it's distasteful before that. Now you have an animal that's dead. How the general public looks at that can only be discussed. Right. Uh, I mean, it's if, if, if you were disgusted by how those people were treating the wildlife in the national parks and like you idiots, why are you doing that? It is not doing a dance next to a loon nest and possibly causing that, that, nest to not be viable then and and that population to be extirpated from that lake um which by the way it takes about 20 years for them to come back um if if looking at that and seeing that is gross to you imagine how posing with 20 different products looks to the average person who doesn't understand that yeah taking the mature animal out of the area is actually good for the you know who, who doesn't know that they only can associate you with the loon nest dancer or the mountain goat kid chaser that's what they i mean they don't know how conservation works this is why we have our conservation media award this is why you know we want to elevate platforms that that share you know good information on ethics on on why uh, conservation is done the way that it is, you know, for sustainability and stuff. That's, that's a big part of why we exist. Um, so when you're posting stuff that does not do that, the, the fact that people get butt hurt over people getting offended about how they post stuff is just entitled childish, bratish stuff to me. <laughs> Um, when I, when I teach hunters that I talk to the kids about this, um, I ask them, you know, how many of your friends hunt and, and we, you know, we go around the room and, 
you know, I have 20 to 30 kids in, in my class and the average answer is like five or six. Yeah. And then the rest of their classmates don't hunt. And this is in the Bozeman area where it's, it's disproportionate, like number of people who hunt here compared to elsewhere. Um, and that number keeps going up, unfortunately, and fortunately, but also unfortunately. But uh, as far as hunting right, you know, here in our backyard, um, it's starting to turn into the pumpkin forest a little bit during hunting season now. But, you know, we'll ask them and it's like five or six. Like, all right, how about the rest of your friends? Have they seen a dead animal before? Or I'll ask the class even, I'll say, how many of you have touched a dead deer? And it'll be like two or three of them have. Um, how many of you have seen, you know, a deer be gutted, you know, seen a, an animal be processed or something like that? And like one or two of them have. So, all right, I'm going to show you the pictures now. And the kids are always like, oh, oh, I was like, okay. <laughs> when you post that, that's how people are reacting. But they're not, you know, looking at it like, yay, there's food coming. They're going, what the hell did you just do? Right. And the, the kids get it. Um, but the adults, man, they struggle. Um, folks do not like to be told that what they're doing is hurting them. <laughs> and it, it's more of a U.S.-based thing. Um, you know, I, I get to talk to our members overseas a lot. Um, you know, I've been in contact with we've got a guy in South Africa doing incredible work right now. Who's a member of ours. We've got folks in Australia, the UK and uh, France and Denmark and, you know, all over the place. They don't have this as much as we do in the U S and Canada, as far as this, what do you, or do you not post on social media? Um, because they're very cognizant of how easily they could lose their opportunities like how knife's edge it is for them. And here in the States, I don't think people realize how knife's edge it is here either, or in, or in BC or Alberta or Saskatchewan or, you know, any of the provinces. I don't, I don't think the average hunter, because our hunting media has advocated kill porn for so long of just showing dead stuff and killing stuff, I don't think folks realize how siloed we've been and how easily we could lose stuff to a popular vote. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think Washington state is the perfect example of that. How quickly something can get taken away. Or, or even, you know, on the East coast with different uh, hunts that have been taken away there too. Yeah. Uh, um, up, yeah. In, up in new England. Um. You know, folks, folks never thought that could happen to Washington state because over, over half of the state is pro hunting, you know, by most polls, but it doesn't take much. And, you know, up in, up in Canada as well. Um, some of the things they've had taken away that just don't make sense from a science perspective. Um, but it comes down to if you're getting in a fight, are you being smart about it or are you being belligerent? Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of countries have picked wars in the past and lost uh, to the defenders. But a lot of times the defenders kind of make the wars 
start to. Um, that, that is really nebulous. But, you know, the, the country that ends up being, think about like Iraq getting attacked by the U.S., you know, in, in Desert Storm. That was in direct uh, reaction to um, Iraq doing something that we did not like. And so we went after, I mean, they didn't do it to us right. uh, back then, but they did it to, you know, something we care, some, some people we cared about. So we trounced them. That is what the hunting public is acting like right now in many ways with social media and, you know, posting videos of yourself naked or photos naked with like a, a, the deer covering up, you know, uh, where, you know, where, where you should have clothes on and stuff. Um, or God, a couple of years ago, there was the, and this isn't PG at all, but this was just a few years ago. Uh, in 20 end of 2019 going into 2020, someone had a major, major outdoor media personality, bloody dildo from putting it in an animal they killed and posted a photo on social media. The hell is wrong with people? What is wrong with you? You can Google it. It it made (laughs) national news. I'll take your word for it. This person had just won a couple outdoor media awards like a couple weeks earlier because it was it was banquet season and award season. I was at Sheep Show when we found out about it. And that person actually happened to be there. And she was trying to she was supposed to win an award and they pulled her award. Um, that was just two years ago. And the crazy thing is, is there were just about as many hunters trying to defend her as those who said, holy hell, she needs to have all of her sponsorships pulled. Folks do not understand how quickly this stuff can go away. So, you know, when we, when we get articles like the one I, you know, you're referencing on, Hey, we need to be posting less. You can see where that article is coming from to some degree. If you're aware of those things going on at right. the national scale. Um, however, there is such thing as, I mean, gatekeeping is a real thing and, and saying, no, this is, you know, you have to earn your right to be here. Oh, sorry. You missed the boat on earning your right to do this. You know, too many adult onset hunters and stuff. Um, where I think the mark is missed in that is we, the, the real issue is we're not educating our, our new hunters properly. Agreed. And we're not we're not incentivizing outdoor media to be the kind of media that will make this opportunity still exist. So I'll, I'll address both of those real quick um, on the education side in Western states. Now, Montana, Idaho, uh, South Dakota, a few others. I don't I don't want to miss misname, misrepresent some states, but um, Idaho in particular. Anyone in the country can take their online hunter's ed course with no in-person instruction requirement. It's basically like click through the slides and then take the test. You can take that. Anyone in the country can, and it reciprocates to any state, any state. So you could go on there and, and and people go, Oh, that, that sounds good. Unless you're a hunter's ed instructor and you've seen who comes into class. Um, 
I've taught now for going on seven years, so not super long in the world of hunters ed instructors. Most of them are like, I'm on my 30th year. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm still still a baby compared to most of those folks. But uh, when we started allowing in the state of Montana folks to take their adults to take their test online, we still required an in-person field day where we got to observe them with a firearm, talk to them about ethics, ask them questions, talk about social media and all of that. We still got to do that. And we would have them come on the same days as the kids and adults who had gone to the in-person classes. Night and day difference between the two groups. Yes, about a quarter of the online class takers, you know, knew their stuff, had clearly taken the course with intent to be serious about it for safety, for ethics, for conservation, for all of that. But about three quarters of them damn near flunked the field days. And this is adults of all ages. And were irresponsible with the firearms, certainly compared to the kids. Couldn't identify the difference between a mule deer and a whitetail, which is a big deal here in Montana. Yeah. Um, couldn't, couldn't identify the difference between an elk and a moose. Oh boy. Couldn't tell the difference between a bighorn sheep and a mountain goat. Um, but they're, you know, once they leave that day, then they're, if they pass, then they're allowed to go and shoot any of those things that they have a tag for, even if they can't identify what it is or where its vitals are. And two years ago, well, during, during lockdown, um, there had been major lobbying for it by a couple groups that are just looking to make some money on having more hunters. They lobbied really hard in our legislature and to our new governor uh, this last year, and they removed the requirement for in-person for everybody. That now you can take the class online and you never have to go in person. And our accidental kill rate of the wrong species, of the wrong gender, have gone through the roof. Our um, landowner complaints from people trespassing, from people shooting from the road, from people doing stuff that's illegal, through the roof because there wasn't in-person training. So, and the Montana and the other Western states have been slowly getting inundated with this as states like Idaho and others had been removing the in-person training requirement for adults because, you know, don't want to tell an adult what to do. They're their own person. They have their freedoms. Let's give them a gun and go let them shoot with other people. Um, and so we're losing access because of it. Landowners are shutting down access on their property. We're losing places to hunt like crazy. Uh, every private access place that I've had, I have lost. Not because of me, but because of other hunters that were there and the liability of barns getting shot, cows getting shot wrong species getting shot on the property and the landowner having to be involved with FWP, someone shooting a moose instead of an elk and blaming the landowner for it and all this different stuff. And when I talk to the wardens, when I talk to the other instructors, these are people who did not have an in-person training for the most part. They're adult onset hunters who did not get in-person training. So, that's clearly something we need to fix. However, financially, our legislatures have not been incentivized to do it. 
there's the funding for it. The funding is guaranteed because of the Pittman-Robertson Act. The funding for adult hunter education exists because of these taxes we all pay. Um, I mean, that's that's where the bulk of them are supposed to go. They're supposed to go to public and hunter education around wildlife with conservation work for the wildlife being tied in there, too. And the states have been removing that because of budget cuts in other areas and because a 40-year-old guy doesn't want to go sit in a room with 12-year-old kids. So that's one problem, and it's big, and it's serious, and it's only growing. Um, The other is we have incentivized the absolute wrong kind of outdoor media for decades. Years and years and years of whack them, stack them, kill shot, kill shot, kill shot, kill shot, kill shot has trained us to think of that as the only kind of outdoor media that hunters should share, that hunters should be interested in. And the algorithms played into it, too, until the filters started to work. (laughs) Right. Um, You know, um, it was insane. You know, if if you couldn't kill, you didn't get a sponsorship. You know, we want to show folks that our project, our product kills. That's why you have archery equipment that just sounds like we hate animals. You know, it's like Savage Destroyer broadheads, <laughs> um, Gut Thrasher broadheads. You know, it's that's how you end up with that. We made this culture as as a as an industry. We hunting did this. Um, I talked about this at an outdoor media event four years ago and got the hell booed out of me by the people who were there. Um, because it makes money. It, it simply does. However, I mean, there's a metaphor that's just way too plain, like clear and poignant. It's killing the golden goose, you know, the goose that lays the golden egg. You're, you're effectively doing that when you keep your outdoor media stacked with that kind of distasteful stuff. If it wasn't the norm in the shows and on the major social media profiles, and by major I mean the ones that have over 100,000 followers that have their own TV shows or YouTube, Netflix, yada, yada, yada. If it wasn't the norm there, it wouldn't be accepted largely in the hunting culture either. Those other folks would be extreme outliers. But the fact that there are still folks who get sponsorships after jamming a dildo into a deer they shot is why we have what we have. Which is why, instead of 2% getting on a platform and me ranting about this for days, which I could, um, we we instead have the Conservation Media Award to give an alternative to show this is what it could be. This is what we want to show the public. So like when, when Randy Newberg's film, the, the, the river that never was, you know, one, uh, in 2020, you know, he's, he's a hunting film producer. He, he makes epic hunting content. My dad lives in Wisconsin, watches all of his videos religiously, even though he doesn't hunt out here <laughs> hardly ever. Um, his video was about, you know, uh, conservation sacrifices that were made that most folks have no idea about. In fact, when I, when I shot my first elk, where I shot it, because that video had not been released, I had no idea that where I shot my first elk would have been underwater if that dam had been put in in the 1970s and if Jim Posowitz and his coworkers hadn't all risked and then lost their jobs 
over protecting the valley so that it could still be a recreational area and and have uh, ranching and hunting and fishing still be there. Um, that media, now folks know that. Uh, last year, the winning uh, video award was about a conflict between skiing and, and uh, bighorn sheep in the Grand Tetons. Turned into a huge online and offline uh, thing in Jackson Hole with people being like, don't tell me how to ski. Exact same thing as we deal with in the hunting world. Um, but it elevated the, the data, the, the need for, you know, the need for things to change. So this discussion needs to keep happening until the problem is fixed. And the discussion is not going to be perfect. People are going to put their foot in their mouth on different things. They're going to gatekeep by accident. Some of them are going to do it on purpose and they're jerks and we should call them out for that. Um, and others are going to call for laissez faire, uh, to a degree that, you know, no change will ever happen. We have to keep having this hard discussion until we get to the place where it's figured out, but we're the first generation to have to figure it out. So it behooves us to keep our foot on the pedal until it's done. Yeah. I mean, you cited a lot of, uh, examples and things like that. That's, that's a lot to process, right? I mean, obviously given your position, um, you know, within, uh, 2% and really kind of the, the hunting and, and conservation community in general, um, I feel like you might be, uh, exposed to a bit more, uh, than maybe like the average person would. Uh, I mean, like the story that you talked about, um, in 2019, I mean, I, I had not seen that. I was not familiar with that. Um, but, you know, I have such a love-hate relationship with uh, with social media. Uh, it's almost this necessary evil at times. Um, I mean, as far as, you know, for me with kind of your classic grip and grin, um, if, for me, if it's done, you know, to say if... If it's not, I guess, done for trying to gain those sponsors, and and I think you pointed that out, right? You can kind of tell when someone is staging this big, grand photo shoot to try to to gain those sponsors. Um, and there's there's ones where it's it's people who are just super proud of their harvest, right? And you know, I right, enjoy, right. I, yeah, and I enjoy seeing people be successful, right? Because, I mean, we all know how difficult it is to harvest an animal regardless of of the species i mean it's a it's a difficult thing to do and it's certainly something that when the time comes you should be proud of 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 your accomplishment of your of your harvest of of being able to you know do your part in, in conservation in that regard you know provide um you know very healthy uh you know sustainable protein for your family like there's so much good that comes out of it but that's it, it, it's just rarely the focus of it. Um, I think there's obviously certain uh, filmmakers and and things like that, like Randy Newberg that you talked about, that portray uh, you know really the the hunting industry, the outdoor kind of lifestyle in a different light with conservation um, and everything being more of the focus. Um, Jason Matzinger, who we had on uh, a few months back, talked about you know, his approach to, to filming and, you know, excuse me, more about, you know, the journey and everything that goes into it and, and really kind of taking in 
all that is. Um, yeah, I, I much prefer those than, like you said, the the kill porn uh, that so many of these you know networks um, you know have you know made a, a built a, a franchise or a network or or anything around. And I mean, I I just I don't enjoy watching that. Yeah, that's that's just not what I prefer. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, the vast majority of the population, and the vast majority of the population does have a say. Yeah, you know, um, and whether or not it's something we get to continue to do. So, you know, the cleaning up of the act absolutely has to happen, and it doesn't happen by us going and just thinking to ourselves when we see something, Oh, that's distasteful. It, it has to be said out loud and an alternative needs to be provided on what things should look like. We can't, we can't just say, Oh, don't do that. That, you know, with parenting, that doesn't work. If I just tell my kids (laughs) no and don't give them something else to do, they're going to, you know, they're going to wind themselves up into some other type of trouble. None of us ever truly grow up. Um, (laughs) uh, You know, we we have to give an alternative. And that's why we launched the Media Award. Um, Ironically, that event that I was booed at um, when I talked about that, that was the event that it was being announced at. Oh, geez. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, That was at the Professional Outdoor Media Association's annual conference. Yeah. it wasn't everyone in the room, but it was enough people in the back and a little bit of heckling and stuff. But I mean, major outdoor media players and they were like, screw you. I like money, buddy. Um, like, well, if you do, if you want your kids to also have a job in this, let's, let's make sure that that's possible. Let's not strangle the golden goose just to get more eggs out as quickly as possible. Let's make sure she can keep laying. So, yeah. Anyway, it, it's something I could go off on for hours because, like you said, um, I see a lot in this position. Um, but the fact that I'm seeing it means other people are seeing it, too. Yeah. And the assumption that no one will see what you do doesn't exist. The Internet is forever. There's no hiding. Um, folks learned this lesson back in, what was it, 2015 or 16 when the Ashley Madison... Uh, hack happened. <laughs> I, I do remember um, that. Yeah, yeah, that was some good people watching for a couple months. Everyone um, got exposed. Yeah, everyone who was involved in that. Yeah, it's like, but I thought it was private. Well, yeah, but you know, the internet's forever. So, you know, and the youngest generation, the 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 Zoomers and the Alphas, they kind of get that. There's there's less of them. I mean, they're doing stupid stuff like eating Tide Pods, but they're they're not. And, and you know, the the milk crate challenge and stuff like that. Yeah, there's there's still stupidity happening, but in general, they are understanding the permanence of social media more than our generation and those prior. Yeah. And so, if we can have an example for them to latch onto, it'll go a long way. And as long as it's the right example yeah absolutely because those are the people who in you know or that's the generation that in 15 years is going to be the the voice right they, they are going to be the ones that are uh, at the forefront of media in whatever form or fashion that may be 
uh, in 15 years. I mean, they're going to be the ones kind of leading that charge um, in in this you know industry in in hunting and in angling and in you know just outdoor recreating. And yeah, to to do our best to set that example. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot to to undertake in terms of the the magnitude of that and and the responsibility that comes along with that. But I think that's that also comes with our uh, responsibility as a as a conservationist, right? As an outdoorsman or outdoors woman, is that we need to lead by example. We need to to show yep. those who we don't even know are watching that this is the the way to to be ethical and to to go about your business when you're in the outdoors and have those conversations like you just mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> generations want to complain about, you know, younger generations that they are, you know, we, we make those that come after us. Even if we don't have our own kids, we make those that come after us yeah. with what we do and the example that we give and what they're into is greatly dictated by, you know, observing those who are already into it. Humans learn by example. They, they learn what they, how to do stuff the right way. And they also learn what they never, ever, ever want to do or be associated with. And we have not done a good job. So the, this area needs work. And like I said, until it's fixed, still needs work. Yep. All right, let's let uh, enough of that because that feels a bit that feels a bit like a downer of a topic and yeah, which we never do. <laughs> I know, I know. That's why before we started recording, I said, "Hey, sh- do you want to touch on this?" Because obviously, it's not you know rainbows and sunshines that we like to talk about. Like it's a it's a little bit more dark, but I, I, I'm glad that we did because um, certainly as you know, the past year and a half has gone on. Uh, you know, we've certainly been fortunate enough with the podcast to to reach some more ears and some more listeners and stuff like that. So uh, I definitely don't want people to think that we kind of have our head in the sand uh, when it comes mm. to, to topics like this, because, um, you know, just because we're not out, uh, you know, maybe posting about it on social media, you know, every day for two weeks while it's kind of a hot button issue. You know, I, I, I do think that people should should know kind of, uh, you know, where we stand and what our thoughts are. Um, kind of on the topic in general. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So, all right. We've been at it for, oh shoot, hour and a half here. So <clears throat> just a few more things and then I'm sure you've got some other stuff to get going on here. But uh, we talked about it, uh, I think it was in 20, maybe it was in 2020. No, I think it was 2020, maybe late 2020. How the pandemic was affecting uh, a lot of the organizations, conservation orgs, um, with canceling of you know a year, year and a half's worth of banquets, uh, fundraising events, uh, you know, uh, you know, boots on the ground type activities. So, twenty twenty one was we certainly saw a time where things opened up a bit more uh, in terms of being able to all gather in one place. How are you seeing um, some of these organizations kind of rebound and try to get back to, you know, where they were, you know, pre-pandemic? Yeah, so I'm I'm happy to say that for the most part, our our efforts on that front in 2020 were very successful, and and in 2021, you know, um, 
know, in, in 2020, it was triage. Let's, let's, let's help the businesses and the family foundations and stuff put the money to the organizations that are going to lose staff, that are going to lose projects, that are going to lose the ability to complete their mission. Um, let's, let's get the money there first and, and help coordinate and find that and, and, you know, expedite that process. And I'm, I'm happy to say as best we could do, uh, we, we, we did better than I, than I even thought we, we could manage on that front. Um, 2021 was all right, bunch of online, but also some in-person events, you know, how do we, how do we, you know, help coordinate those and, um, the main thing was, you know, Hey, at the end of 2020, be already reaching out, make sure you've got your donations in place, make sure you've got your, your products headed to the, to the events so that they have them for shipping right away. Cause there, you know, some folks are still shipping stuff from last year when everything moved online, yada, 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 that all went pretty well. Um, and folks, folks, uh, really showed up in a big way, like buying in online auctions, people got used to instead of being in a room and needing six or seven drinks to get them to buy that hunt or that, you know, that uh, off-road vehicle or whatever uh, for the conservation group, they were sitting at home and no one knows if they were drinking at all, but they were still bidding and they were still supporting and people who have never had to use technology in that way were using it and organizations that never had to were using it. So this year what we're seeing is most folks are keeping an online uh, event going or at least keeping the auction there as there are a lot of folks who still either can't or don't feel comfortable traveling. Right. Um, I mean, hell, I tried to go to Seattle last weekend and all the flights were canceled. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to be uh, at sheep show in Reno next week, but I, I have a connecting flight in Salt Lake city. So let's see. <laughs> <laughs> um, don't, don't know if I'll, you know, if I'll be able to get there when I'm supposed to get there. Um, so there's, there's challenges that way. That's going to be a big one. Um, so one thing I would, I would let folks know is like, number one, like speakers and event organizers, coordinators, exhibitors, um, everyone that you go to a, a convention or big banquet, like if you're, if they are traveling to you, just expect something might happen and they don't make it. They, they might not make it there. Um, there might be a change in plans. And don't ask for a refund when that happens. Um, that, was, that was one area that we really harped on in 2020 was like, if it's possible, if, if you could afford the money to attend, that means that you budgeted to spend more money there probably don't don't ask for a refund when things change um because the organization they're hurting enough from not getting people there you know spending money there in person when you take your refunds now you're making them eat the cost of the venue too right when it was absolutely out of their control so that's one one thing i would say to folks is like just be prepared for that the other and i'm hearing this all over the u.s these conservation groups don't control whether or not masks are required at the venue. That is local government or the venue's insurance. Don't chew out the organization when they put on masks will be required. Don't email them and say, I'm going to show up without a mask or you're never getting a penny from me again. That is not up to them. No matter what your politics are on masks, which... <laughs> 
that's the funny thing. It's politics, not, not data. Um, it, it, no matter where you are on that, don't take it out on the conservation group. I was on, was on the phone with someone who's putting on an event this, this month and they are dealing with piles of people saying, I'm going to cancel my life membership if you make me wear a mask. And they're trying to tell them it's not us making you wear a mask. It's the local requirement. And they're like, well, you're still not getting my money next time. Maybe you should have the event at my place or something like that. Don't (laughs) eat a dick. And I know the listeners of this aren't that I'm asking you to, to spread that message. You know, just, if you care about wildlife enough to spend money on them, you can wear a mask indoors for a couple hours or the event is online. Just do the online portion, but don't make these volunteers and conservation employees who the conservation employees are not making enough money to get yelled at by you. Um, and the volunteers certainly are not, um, like keep that, that vitriol and bile in your gut where it belongs don't puke it on them and and spread the word on that because it is the number one thing I am hearing as far as a headache right now across the U.S. is people complaining about having to wear a mask. Yeah. So, and in a situation like that, I mean, that feels like the ultimate dick move where someone is going to this this fundraising event or some type of, of trade show when it is about it's not about them individually, right? It's about right. what they're there for, what they're there to support and turning around and making it about them and having to wear a mask. Like, oh, come on. That's so 2019 at this point. Right. 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 I mean, you, you wear a mask in the, in the deer blind. You can wear a mask. In the, yeah. You know, right. Yeah. Stand during archery season. There you go. Um, wear one when you're raising money and, and, Man, yeah, there there are exhibitors that have canceled from events because they were going to be required to wear a mask at the event, who have canceled their donations, who have canceled all that stuff. And again, it's not the conservation group making the requirements usually. Right. A couple of them have because they're like, hey, our membership is a bunch of senior citizens. Even if you have the flu, you are putting them at risk because of a year of no one bumping into each other. Let's let's we're asking anyone who's here in person, please wear a mask. And they're like, you're never getting my money again. Like, wow, we live in an entitled country. (laughs) Um, so that, that would be the one big nasty trend that, that I'm seeing right now. And I mean, I'm getting phone, I'm not looking for it. I'm getting phone calls about it. Asking what do we do? Like, well, is it you or the government? First off. All right. If it's the government doing it, do that, you know, let them know that it's that. If it's the venue, let them know it's that. Um, if it's you, you need to tell them why. And, you know, that's that's a different conversation entirely. That's, that's between you and your membership at that point. Um, but that's a big one. Um, another thing that we're seeing trend-wise, smaller groups are doing online fundraisers who had never done a fundraiser before, ever. Um, and it's, it's actually, it's a really positive trend that we're seeing, uh, in that they are gaining capacity to do work because they suddenly have volunteers with time. Uh, people started, they needed something to do with their time in 2020. 
So they started volunteering. And now these organizations that used to be like five or six people now have, you know, 30 to 50 people tackling some pretty big habitat stuff in their home area. So you might start seeing a fundraiser from a group that you've never heard of that's in your backyard, but turns out they've been there for 30, 40 years. And that's a really positive trend that we're seeing this coming year. So just keep your eyes open for that. You know, when, when you see a, a group get shared by one of your friends, you don't know who they are. Don't just scroll past it, like click through, see who they are. And you might be just like super pleasantly surprised on, on the work they do and, and what kind of people they are and, and, and what kind of work you could get involved with, uh, with them. That would be super, super rewarding and fulfilling in your life. Yeah. All right. Before I let you go, last thing, any closing thoughts, I guess on 2021 and as we roll in to the new year here. Yeah. Um, the Roaring Twenties aren't here yet, but they're coming. Um, and if you're in the position, if you're in the position to make giving a, you know, to conservation causes a tradition for yourself or in your home, this is the year to do it. This is probably the, the calm before some, some social, societal, economical shakeups and stuff. So if you start a tradition this year of like on, on, you know, different people's birthdays, you buy them a conservation membership for 30 bucks, um, you know, or you become the aunt or uncle that uh, gifts a life membership to, you know, a niece or nephew to a different conservation cause or, um, that you commit this year to when possible you are buying a 2% certified brand instead of just hopping on Amazon and seeing what was, you know, $5 cheaper. Um, by making those little changes this year, it makes an absolutely outsized impact when done at scale. Um, you know, the old adage of, of, you know, 80, the 80, 20 rule. We've talked about this before, how right. conservation it's often 1% doing 99%. Every time that you buy from a 2% certified brand, instead of one of their competitors that doesn't give a rip about conservation or only markets about conservation, but refuses to take on the accountability. Every time you do that, you move the needle forward doubly. So you move it for yourself you move it for your community and your friends when they see you with those products or with using those services and you do it with that company, their employees and their families and the conservation causes they support those conservation cause volunteers or employees and their families. It ripples through all of that. And it could be that you're making a $5, you know, sticker purchase from somebody well, think about where that sticker is going to be seen, where it's going to go and all of that. And you're, you're elevating someone who's who's doing what you believe in and it makes a massive impact. So small changes like that going into 2022, uh, you think about all the twos, you know, in the year, if it reminds you of 2%, it should remind you of our brands to shop with and remind you of, you know, how are you addressing it in your personal life? And if you're not there yet on your time and dollars, this is the perfect year, a transitionary year between 
you know, it, it's, it's, it's a big turning happening culturally right now um, on how we work, how we recreate and all of that. That's the time that you make a lasting traditions because once, once things have changed, then they're kind of set. So I would say this is the perfect year for anyone who's been sitting on the fence on those things. Maybe this is the year you quit drinking coffee that isn't 2% certified. I promise you, it tastes better over here. Um, <laughs> I'll suck at that. <laughs> um, maybe this is the year that your gear is exclusively bought either on, on 2% certified retail sites like Double Down Outdoors or Go Hunt or um, you know any of the others that we have. Uh, maybe this is the year that you, you know, upgrade your hydration system with a hard side hydration pack uh, adapter and stuff. And, you know, little moves like that make a massive impact. And when you're feeling overwhelmed, making little strides of progress feel good. So, you know, if you need to feel good this year, it's an easy place to start. Yeah, no, that is a great piece of advice, and and I think a kind of a great point to to kind of shut this down here because that's a, a positive note for everyone to to build upon here. So, Jared, as always, it was a pleasure, man. I really enjoyed it, uh, and look forward to getting you on here again uh, in the future. Awesome! Thanks so much for having me. All right, take care, Jared. All right, well, thank you again to Jared for joining me today. <clears throat> I would also like to thank the partners of the podcast. Uh, Stone Glacier and Wild Rivers Coffee, as well as 2% for Conservation. Uh, please be sure to go out and support the companies and the brands that support this podcast and help make it possible. Also, while you're at it, check out theaverageconservationist.com, pick up some sweet gear uh, as well. Uh, if you're interested in learning more about 2% for Conservation, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org, and there you can see all the certified brands that have committed to conservation that you should support when you shop. I also encourage you guys to give 2% a follow on social media where they're going to post only positive content so you'll enjoy those conservation-focused posts in your feed. So again, if you'd like to learn more about 2% for Conservation, you can look for them online on social media or at fishandwildlife.org. Thanks for joining me this week, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Remember to stay safe out there, and conservation starts with you. Mm-hmm.